Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Everybody, uh, we're back after a two-week hiatus of being sick and dealing with drama and all sorts of things and uh, dealing with getting ready for a trade show and doing the trade show. Wanted to just jump on before we get into the episode to say thanks so much for everyone that stopped by our booth that happened to be in the area. It was really cool to meet a, lot, a number of folks that follow us, uh, meet new people that have never heard of us and have some really fun conversations. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a really great experience. I uh, also wanted to do a shout out here. We're doing more with and on Go Wild. Uh, it's a, it's a, we really like those guys and gals over there quite a bit, but it's a free social media community uh, where your photos aren't going to be censored. So whether it's a turkey grip and grin or a whitetail or a fish or even uh, sharing your gear setup and leaving gear reviews, you're going to be rewarded for things like that. And that stuff is encouraged. They give you points for things like sharing those trophies, those gear reviews, and even inviting more people to join their platform. As you earn those points, you're going to lock some pretty cool things. You're probably going to get a sticker pack for sure, but you can also get gift cards and free swag and knives and some pretty steep discounts on some larger brands like Garmin and Vortex and, and plenty of others. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So you can, uh, if you want to head on over to check it out and take a look, if you haven't already, you can go to downloadgowild.com to go ahead and get started and definitely follow OKS Hunter, uh, myself, and Greg and Derek over there too. We'd love to to chat with you over on Go Wild. Okay, one last thing before we try, jump into the show here. I did want to mention that we did uh, launch or like finally uh, publish our event that we have coming up in August. I know August feels very far away, but time moves fast, uh, especially as we get older. I think time goes by a lot faster than it had in the past. Nonetheless, in August, on the 27th, we, OKS Hunter, are hosting an archery event, a 3D archery event, at Hubbleton Brewery in Waterloo, Wisconsin, or Hubbleton, Wisconsin. So you can check it out. Uh, we have a post on our Facebook page you can check that out. We'll put some more information in our email blast. So if you're not signed up to our weekly email blast, definitely sign up for that on our website. Um, we'll put a page on our website for it too. So you can definitely uh, sign up there as well. It's 20 bucks to sign up. Um, we're going to pay for beer and food and hopefully music with the purchase of those tickets. And we're going to find some really unique ways to give back and donate to conservation. So we have a lot of planning and preparation to do leading into August 27th, but, uh, you know, definitely shoot first and drink later. It should be a ton of fun. A number of folks have already signed up. We're probably going to cap it off somewhere around 50 attendees. So uh, first come, first served. If it sounds like something you want to do, hang out with us, have some fun. We're probably going to podcast there. We're going to give away a lot of stuff. Uh, we're definitely giving away at least one bare bow. Um, so there's going to be more to come. We're going to announce some things as they, as they pop off, as we talk to some of the brand partnerships that we have. So definitely check that out. It's called foam fest. If you have any questions or curious to learn more, if you want to participate in any way, shape or form, um, let us know, reach out to us on our social channels or email. We'd be happy to hear from you. Let's get into the show. This is the OKS Hunter podcast. Never pass on shooter bucks. If that's just me in the freezer. It's your tag. Hunt 
What is up? How long has it been since we've been in this dang studio? Although we, we did spend some time together. Too long, apparently. Uh, we're a little behind, I would say. We had either a guest maybe not be able to make it, or we couldn't make it. We cause... canceled both. Oh, did we really? Okay. So, shame on us. It's all on us. Yep. Actually, we could probably blame you. Oh, it's 100% my fault. <laughs> Our dog it's ran away two weeks fault. ago when we were prepping for the trade show. It was yep. just a chaotic week. We got her back. It's all good. Um, she broke through the electric fence and ran like two subdivisions. Sick as a dog. West, just running like a, an idiot all, all night. And then the following week after the trade show, I got, I got, the, I got influenza A. Yuck. So I was like not alive, basically. <laughs> it was rough. I mean, you saw me there. Yeah. I had a fever of 104 when I got home that Sunday. It was brutal, man. And somehow none of us managed to get sick from it. No, luckily. And honestly, it was interesting. It was one of those things where we were going to have someone in studio, John, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a referral from Doug Durin. And I was like, dude, I have to, he had just asked on Monday, is it all still good? And I was like, yeah, we're good. I thought Monday I was through it all. And then sure. Tuesday I got totally regressed to back into being just disgusting, sick and fevery all over again. In the fetal so, position. Yeah. I was like, it ain't going to happen, man. I hate to expose you to myself in, in close quarters. I still hadn't even unloaded my truck at that point. <laughs> like none of this stuff was in the studio. It was rough. Nice. But back at it. Uh, I mean, what would you like about the trade show, by the way? It was just really cool to meet and kind of put faces to names of people that have been following along with us. And, you know, they followed us on social. They reach out to us. They, you know, they make comments on our posts. We comment back, you know, just meeting a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people and a lot of new people that never even heard of us. They just thought our hats were cool. And now we got a little bit more following out of it. So, yeah, pretty neat. Pretty neat to be able to. Say hello to some uh, some people in the trade, and uh, um, you know, shake hands with with some real professionals. It was cool. Doug Duran even stopped by. Yeah, Doug even chatted with us for a bit. Visited with us. That was pretty awesome. You're Doug Duran. <laughs> my favorite parts of the whole show. That was, that was. That was great. It was. Uh, all right. Well, you know, we're back. Uh, looks like Oak Tree Dreams. We got to meet Drew. Drew looks like Drew came by. Uh, yeah. I'm glad to see you at your booth. At our booth, I mean, you brought us some T-shirts and. Uh, I think you looked at some with some hats or something. I it hope was so. a, the whole thing was a blur, man. I really hope I gave you something. I, thought I hope I so too. You know, uh, but we got a guest with us today, so we won't keep him waiting too long. Let's bring him in here, Caleb. I should have asked how to pronounce your last name. It's Stillians with hey, Rise Up, it, man. Oh, good. I uh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm really known for butchering last names bad. Hey. And, that that one most everyone messes that one up and you just like hit it on the head. So I'm not sure if I'm buying that one. <laughs> That's a rare. It's rare form for me to do that. And I was like, oh, I should have asked. Shoot, at the moment of truth, I was like, just take a stab. That's at it. it. You're not allowed to ask anymore. Yeah. You're just allowed to let have at it. See if you get it. It's well, 50 chance. Speaking of trade shows, uh, so Greg and I and Derek and Tyler, our team, we were just at the open season sportsman's expo in the Wisconsin Dells. But Caleb, you and I met when I was at the waypoint booth in uh, Kentucky at the ATA trade show, which is an industry show, not a consumer show. And uh, I think you would come over to the booth and you're probably looking to talk to those guys about something more important than what I could have candled with you because I was just an idiot there um, hanging out. 
but you show me this video on your phone of this Alaskan hunt, uh, this moose hunt. And it was like riveting. It was truly genuinely riveting. And I was like, who is this freaking guy? Holy shit. Like, yo, you guys got to come talk to this guy. He's got a show for you. And they're like, who, Eric, what, you don't work here. What do you do? So, <laughs> you know, anyway, um, we had met there and I thought, boy, it'd be fun to have you on the show. You probably got some great stories and, and you're in Alaska right now. You're literally in Alaska. It looks beautiful where you're at. Yeah, no, I'm up here. I got a couple of brown bear hunts coming up here soon. I'm going to shoot down on the peninsula and hopefully get a couple of 10 photos. But uh, no, it was it was great to meet you out there. It was, it's fun. Uh, I try to tell people if you take the time to at least get a piece of everybody's story, it's amazing on who you'll meet and the dots you'll connect just by taking the time and being like, hell, there's a guy sitting on the couch. I'm going to go say hi to him while I wait. So that's kind of how this came about. Yeah, it was a, they had a nice little white couch at their booth. That was cozy. It wasn't too bad at all. They had a good space set up there. Shout out to Waypoint. We host with them, and by the way, so for those that don't know, um, you'll find us on their network. But um, So what brought you to the ATA? If it's too much to unpack from like a business standpoint, that's fine. You can just give me the cliff notes. But like, you're from, are you from Alaska or, and or you live in Alaska? Like, let's break down some things about who Caleb is. Let's have okay. you kind of introduce yourself. Yeah, so I'll take care of the, the formal question. Um, so I uh, was out at ATA, just meeting new people, kind of growing the brand. I was helping a, a good friend out with a company he's got going on. And then uh, who I am, I was born in Kansas City, Missouri. At two, went to Alaska. At eight, back to Missouri. Um, long story short, got in the competitive archery in high school, shot really well. Um, I was fortunate to shoot well. And then got a full ride um, to college and the college i went to assistant archery coach daughter married an outfitter up here and that's kind of started my whole journey back up here in alaska you got to start as a as a packer so i came up here worked for free for a year um ended up getting my guides license and then uh long story short that's that's the the whole how the guiding thing started and now i'm up here in alaska uh i have a house up here that i airbnb out so if any of you guys are wanting to come up to alaska just for a little getaway uh check out the house and it's just right over there and it's in a good little spot so that's like the that's like the eighty thousand foot view flying over at thirty thousand um feet per second checking that out so that's kind of what's going on you posted about the the house recently was that on instagram or facebook it looks <laughs> nice oh i appreciate that no i got a, I got really fortunate and I, i'm looking at my phone i'm always confused on where i look at but uh it's uh i got fortunate got a got a good deal on it it's a 2000 square foot log cabin that's like 300 yards from the ocean and it's back goes the mountain um so it kind of works out well there's black bear moose mountain goat um there's really good fishing in this area so it's uh it's really a, a paradise up here in alaska so i got got fortunate to get my hands on it so when you're airbnb that out like this is a fun topic i suppose like are you where are you going when someone else is staying are you staying with them or are you oh, like well, no so i hunt like on average like seven months out of the year and i don't go home like it's just too busy i go from one hunt to the next so i in the fall i live about two months in a tent and then no, in the fall it's three months in the spring it's two months so it's usually uh april and may in the, in the spring this april is different because i'm finishing up some stuff on the house so i'm not doing some early season hunts um, and then May's busy brown bear hunting 
And then I go down to the low 48 for the summertime, just kind of keep hitting the trade shows. You know how it is. You got to, you got to meet a lot of people, hear a lot of stories. And then that opens up connections. And then the fall, I got 45 days. This is in August, 45 days of doll sheep hunting. That's August and September. And then I'll have a, another brown bear hunt. And then I'll have a mountain goat hunt. And that would take me into November. And then I'll come back to the house, close the house up for the winter time, and then shoot back down to the 48th to spend Christmas with family and then hit the trade shows again. So you're just always on the move. Yeah, I, I cover I cover some miles. So There's got to be some stillness there when you're in the, the back country of Alaska, though. It sounds like a lot the way you just kind of laid it out, but I got to imagine there's some times where you're able to slow down and kind of absorb nature and take it all in five months in a tent how are you i'm just gonna steer us all over the place man how okay. are you like how are you preparing for that like what clothes are you bringing how are you taking care of yourself like hygiene wise like what are you, you have like a pretty strong base camp then it's not just like some you know pole tent are you doing like one of those ones that i've seen in billy madison you know, like that is correct and they're in the you know the tent out there studying <laughs> uh, no so it's actually so kind of how how you walk it is uh depending on what area you're hunting is what animal you're hunting so and for sheep season those 45 days i'll just use that as an example um we are in like literally no man's land uh like you have to fly it's two charter flights to get there uh it's 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 there's a lot of logistics so once you get the base camp you have actually a nice little like cabin um a meat shed uh and then a shower facility like a small one it's not i don't think of like a big big thing this is this was all flown out um on a super cub if that puts it in perspective so then that's that's your base hub now you have 10 day sheep hunts uh and then you get flown out on the mountain and you live um out of a, a Helenborg one man solo tent and then that's that's just what you live in so you you have a uh, mountaineering gear is mainly what you pack so you have a light sleeping bag that's you try to do a zero degree bag so if it does drop down in september to uh, below freezing temperatures you're still comfortable gear wise i have a mixture of things uh i wear i used to wear patagonia and alteryx but those those companies are kind of they don't believe in what we believe in they make good gear but i just because of where they stand politically against us i wouldn't recommend wearing them but uh every stock makes some good stuff q makes some good stuff um so yeah just what i'm trying to say is like shop around on your gear i wear light puffy mountaineering clothes and then just test it out in the shower and then uh see how fast it dries because you're gonna get wet so what you wear needs to be able to dry with your body heat in it uh so and then freeze-dried food so i eat a lot of freeze-dried uh peak refuel food and that's kind of yeah that's what's happening that's why it looks so fit <laughs> well, I'm a little bit chunky right now. I'm like 180, and I need to be 170, so I got a little bit of pudge on the on the ribs. You <laughs> Wisconsin guys rocking. I mean, Greg's not a dad, but he's got a dad bod for sure. No offense there, Greg. It's fine. It hey, I hear the dad bots on style right now, so the ladies are probably digging them. Dude, it's real. When you got three kids, you don't got time to be doing a lot of shit. It's just, it's just a struggle bus. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go to the gym. I'm like, who am I kidding? I'm not going anywhere. These kids won't let me out the damn door. <laughs> uh so anyway but you know you get pretty strong carrying around the house all, all day long um so as a guide then 
where are the people that you're bringing out and guiding? Where are they staying? Are they staying in a single man tent too? And are you outfitting them with a lot of this stuff? Like what can someone expect if, Hey, hey I'm interested. I'm going to hire you to be my guide to go on a whatever hunt. What do I need to do? Like, what does that even look like? What are some of the considerations and preparation I have to deal with as a, a guest of yours? Yeah. So, uh, so I, I'm the guide. I'm not the outfitter. But I, I, I help answer questions, and if someone's looking to go on a hunt, I will. Sorry, there's a airplane flying overhead. Um, but if someone wants to go on a hunt, they can reach out to me, and I can give them like recommendations on like, hey, I'll go with this guy here, go with that guy. Um, but the client pretty much does what the guide does. So if you're doing a sheep hunt, it's a one-man Hillenburg solo tent. Um, if you're doing a brown bear hunt, you can get away with uh, having a heavier tent set up. Same way with moose. Uh, it all depends on where you where you're hunting, but the, uh, but pretty much the same thing. Like the the client is there for ten days, and he's gonna experience the hunt how it's how it is. So if they're doing a sheep hunt, um, if the client it's good for the client to brush up on some mountaineering background, and if they don't have any, they can reach out to me. They can reach out to the outfitter, and I try to get them polished up on stuff like that. But it's very uh. It's totally different than the lower 48. It's not like you go back to a, a warm place each night, but that's part of the beauty of it is because how like physically um, challenging it is. Because if you're not if you're not willing to put in that effort, especially on a doll sheep, um, you most likely won't get a big ram. Do you subcontract through multiple outfitters then? I do. Yeah, I work with a lot of different people, um, a lot of top-notch quality outfitters in Alaska, and then I just kind of go uh, where I feel like going for that year. And like I said, uh, it's it, it actually keeps it fun because instead of like being tied down to one spot, I pretty much can cover the entire state of Alaska. So I'm, I'm on Kodiak a lot, on Alaska Peninsula a lot, up in the Brooks Range, Alaska Range, um, the Wrangles. So I just I like to move can't sit in one spot very long no you're you're pretty nomadic when it i mean by the sounds of it at least um it sounds awesome like you're living what some people probably call a dream life to some degree and how many how many guided hunts are you doing a year roughly and how many are you doing for yourself like are you doing any without like you know i'm not bringing some of this ones for me kind of thing yeah so it varies so before um before I used to not like get the hunt at all for myself because uh, at the end of the day you got to make sure that you're, you're paying the bills and trying to get ahead. Uh, so for the longest time I didn't do like hardly any hunting for myself. Um, this year is actually going to be that uh, last brown bear hunt, mountain goat hunt. I'm going to be hunting, hunting those. Uh, so it's I'm actually starting to do a little bit of hunting for myself this season. I think I'll have one, two. Three, four, five, six, seven, seven hunts that I'll be leading for other people. Uh, sometimes it's more. This is actually going to be the lowest number that I've done in quite a long time. Uh, usually it could be up to 20, 20 different people, depending on what's what's happening. So it, it's all over the place. It depends on the year. I'm trying to slow down a little bit and be gone a little bit less because of some other things I have going on. I started the rise up with caleb stillians which is a hunting show and then it's also a production company so i work with different uh different companies to help get them content and uh i can't i can't be on the side of the mountain all all the time to make sure all the business happens so i gotta i gotta find that balance how long have you been guiding 
Uh, I started right after high school. Um, so since I was 18, 24 now, uh, so six years. Very nice. Yeah, it's it's been fun. A lot of big animals. I met some fantastic people. Um, there's some like awesome, awesome people that come up here on these hunts. So it's been fun. It's like uh, going from a Missouri boy. Uh, well, I was, I was a little bit in Alaska, but I, you know, I was I was young, really young when I was there. So going from a Missouri boy that didn't have a huge, uh, I guess, web you could say of connections to having a a friend in pretty much well every state, and then. Uh, being one question away from pretty much knowing, knowing pretty much any anybody, you know what I mean? Because the world gets smaller and smaller the more people you know. So it's been it's been fun to watch that happen. Yeah, it is a small world, man. This in this particular space is particularly small. Also, yeah, it's pretty easy to get to know a lot of people if you really want to get to know them. Mm-hmm. So so what's what's your guys' story? How did uh? How did the podcast pop in? Oh, my God. The questions have been turned. This has never happened. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> Point of the cannon at you. Oh, I usually reserve these stories for I'm a guest somewhere else. But no, it's, you know, we've been doing it since, uh, well, I started in 2013 with the show. It used to be called Where to Hunt. Okay. And, was 2013? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's 2013. And then somewhere along the way, I met Greg. He he was a listener. We, you know, chatted. He wanted me to come shoot archery with him and, you know. I don't know. He probably thought I needed to learn a thing or two, and he, he wasn't wrong. No, no, not at all. Just and, figured it'd be cool to go shoot bow with somebody. Yeah, and then from there, uh, Greg started doing the show with us two and a half years ago. Yeah, something like that. And uh, we rebranded OKS Hunter last summer. Um, Derek, our buddy, started uh, jumping in with us from time to time when he's available. And, yeah, people just seem to enjoy kind of – I don't know, listening to us. When we were at the trade show, a lot of folks say, I listen to you every morning when I go to the gym or on my walk or I'm like, wow, you listen to us. I'm so sorry. You know, <laughs> no one listens. And we're just a couple of guys having a good time. Honestly, you know, um, I have the gift of gab and, uh, which is not a good thing as a podcast host because I'm supposed to be the good listener. Uh, but I suck at video stuff and it's just so much work. And I guess podcasting is a lot of work too, but it's easier just talk and talk and talk. Yeah, and, and I keep that out I there, keep so. trying to push you to doing some more video stuff, and you're like, "Yeah, we don't we don't do that too well." That's so <laughs> it just feels so difficult to bring a camera into the woods and do all this extra. I can't even get it's a deer worked, as it is. You, you know, you know? it's like a good at hunting. I can't I can't throw a camera on. No one ever watched anything. It's like when you buy a GoPro and you think your life's so cool, and you put it on your bike once, and you just go down a hill, and it's like, "Well, this was freaking boring." You know? <laughs> like I got to get better at hunting deer before I can start adding layers of camera equipment on it and. Ultimately, I like to have someone else just do it for me. I don't, I'm not particularly good at the camera. Yeah, but that's extra stink in the tree and extra noise and extra movement. And these deer are educated well enough already that any kind of extra movement is no good. So a lot of pressure out here. Yep. Yeah. So that's it. I mean, that's, I guess, the, the podcast in a nutshell. I have a background and degree in web media and, and marketing and communication. So I think it, it, this fits within my wheelhouse pretty good. So I, I enjoy doing it and we've been at it, like I said, since 2013. So, you know, um, yeah. the consistency part was layered on somewhere in there where we thought, Oh, let's do it every week. And, uh, short of the last two weeks, we've been, we don't really miss an episode unless yeah. it's like a holiday. We try not to pretty rare. Yeah. Well, it's good. Consistency is everything. It certainly is. 
yeah, people come to like rely on it and, and you can build systems around consistency. You can build frameworks, you can show up and, and then magic starts to happen. Kind of like I said, the networking, the world gets smaller. The more consistent you show up, the more people realize you're not going anywhere. We can rely on you. We can depend on you. We can, you know, you're, you're one of us kind of thing. Like it's, it takes a whole different approach versus just Johnny come lately. Well, is this guy going to record again? I have no idea. You know, there's no credibility with that. So, right. Yeah, no, it is. And especially if, uh, if you're making a pay, the, the companies have got to know that they're not just going to give you money and then you're going to go complete because you decided you want to go to uh, Costa Rica for a month and then not do nothing. Just drink. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't have to care about this. You know, like, that's different for us. It's, it is a labor of love for sure. It's definitely you no know, walk in the park. It's a bunch of work, but I, we enjoy the work. I think Greg wouldn't show up every week if he didn't enjoy doing this stuff. Certainly, we don't get paid, so. And he might just like your pretty face. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might. All right. Well, I got a question for you. Okay. Uh, Greenhorn wants to go to Alaska and moose hunt. Where do we start? So it depends on the Greenhorn said budget. Uh, if you go with a guide and a, an outfitter, your chances of success go like exponentially up. However, so does the, the cost. Um, me being a guide and working with outfitters, I'd recommend doing that. But if you want to just do it for the experience and uh, you might get lucky and kill a, kill a good moose, uh, you would want to head uphill. Um, a lot of guys will get a U-Haul. And they would drive the highway and they would look look on Onyx and find uh, the state land. And then they will go off from there. Uh, a point thing to remember, if that's something you're going to do, now that you when you get a moose on the ground, you're responsible that all that moose meat comes out of the field. Uh, and if any of it's wasted, uh, the state up here doesn't takes it really seriously. So just uh, really plan your logistics. If you're looking to get a, a guided outfit, you can just shoot me a a DM on Instagram and I can kind of point you in the right direction. But, uh, I'm working on a, on a system on how to connect uh, clients with, uh, with outfitters. So that that's coming soon. That's, that's a little bit ways out, but, uh, go follow me on like my personal channel. And once that's ready to go, uh, we can kind of connect you with, uh, with that system or you can shoot me a message and I can do it manually. Cool. Rock on. We did have a question here from, uh, Drew, Oh, God, another last name, Drew. I'm not going to do it to you. Biscobing. Uh, Biscobing. I can't even Bisc get it out of my mouth. Obing. Get his name out your mouth. <laughs> get his name out your mouth, boy. That's the right here. He said, uh, if you can name one in particular, what's been your most memorable hunt or guided hunt to date? That's a great question. It's a great question, and usually we save those questions for kind of right at the very end. Okay. Sort of. But yeah. it can be story time. Okay, so that, that one's... Uh, so there's a few like really awesome. There's a bunch of really awesome hunts, but honestly, the the biggest one that stands out was actually because a, a tragedy that happened. Uh, I had a good friend pass away. Um, that was a guide out in the field, uh, in the same area. Um, not getting into like too many gory details, but he decided to take his own life. And then having the guy to moose hunt that next hunt was really tough. But uh, and I didn't feel like doing it. Usually, you can't stop me um, from hunting, but it's it's when you can realize that no matter what your emotions are feeling if you can just think logically and focus on a task you can still get that task done um so that's the probably the biggest uh one that stands out in my mind uh as for like core stories 
um, I was out hunting on the peninsula this past spring and I'm walking along the mountain and then uh, all of a sudden I hear a clunk, clunk. And I, and I look up and here comes two caribou, two full grown caribou and one little caribou. Um, this shooting straight past me and they looking at me like you are about to get fucked up. Um, and then they gone and I'm like, crap, well, something's chasing them. So I, I pull up my 375, I look back one in the tube. Um, cause I usually keep the, the chamber empty when I'm, uh, when I'm walking around the woods. Cause you don't want to accidental discharge and you're going through brush. That is a possibility. Safety can get flipped off. So I rack one in. And here comes this like eight foot brown bear, not a massive brown bear, but eight foot. That's still a, that's a big enough bear that could do some damage to you. And he, he's running and uh, I yell at him. I get him to stop, you know, I'm making myself look big. And he's, he's got his head down low, which is not good because if the head's down low, that means they're ready to run, but their head's up. They're trying to check you out, like see what's up. His head's down low. And then all of a sudden he takes off running. I, I'm dead on his face, waiting for him, waiting for him. And then, uh, I was about to dump him in the in the pumpkin, but instead of doing that, I, I pull down, shoot a rock in front of him. That blows the rock up. All that frag kind of flicks up at him and uh, hits him in the face, most likely. And he does a three sixty and takes off. So that was uh, that's the most recent one that pops into into my mind. Are you having any like issues with bear or other predation while you're out in your tent or just out and about in general? I've heard stories of people. My old neighbor hunted Alaska. I don't, I don't remember what he was hunting. It may have been moose and wherever they were, I think he got like, he was, he was an older gentleman and he, he's hunted his whole life. I mean, um, so he had gone with somebody younger that was a little more strapping and could carry some stuff, but he drove his four wheeler out after he shot whatever it was he shot. And by the time he got back with his four wheeler, loaded the carcass up and the meat and all that stuff and started driving off, a, a bear was like running alongside his four wheeler and, tipped him over and he tumbled down the mountain oh and shit his leg and his arm and he was like laid up pretty bad and i was like dude what happened what happened nile um what do you he's like oh i got tipped over on my four-wheeler by a bear in alaska i was like what i mean just you hear stuff like that and that was at the time he was my neighbor for like whatever seven years you know and so he had pretty rowdy stories. I don't know if you have any encounters that even remotely close to that, but, um, and I'm probably getting the details wrong. It was a long time ago, but yeah, you no. Know, so like bears are a serious problem up here. And, uh, if you're going to go hunting, that's something to really pay attention in. And that's another like argument and why you should get a guide because they, they kind of used to dealing with that. Um, not every moose, but a good majority of the moose that you kill, um, it takes long enough to get out of the field that you're going to have to deal with some level of bail. Not a, not 100% of the time, but a decent amount of time. And that also is dependent on the salmon run. The salmon run really strong. They've been eating a lot of fish. Uh, they're not quite as uh, gung-ho to go after stuff like that. But if it's been a weak salmon run, or later in the, the season after the salmon's washed out, you really got to pay attention because those bears are hungry. They need to eat or they might not survive the winter. So their uh, risk tolerance goes goes way up. So usually when you have a moose on the ground, uh, I I usually don't let the client help with, with the animal for two reasons. A, I, I don't want someone else's fingers down there when I have a very sharp knife and I can go I've done it enough times I can do it pretty quick. And if someone's out there kind of do it, sometimes it can get in the way. And the big reason is that someone needs to have their head up scanning 
because uh, the bears will walk in on you. And I think there was, I think it was two years ago. And yeah, it was two years ago. Uh, a guide and, and his client uh, got ate um, by a grizzly bear. Cause I don't know what, what exactly happened, but uh, yeah, they had a moose on the ground and a bear got him. So you gotta always keep your head on the swivel. So like right now I'm only, I'm not in brown bear country or grizzly bear country. Um, we got really big black bears where my cabins are at, but I'm freaking 300 yards from the from the cabin, and you know I have a firearm with me. If you're gonna come up, to, it's just like out west. If you're gonna be anywhere with this bear country, um, it's not like the bears out there hunting and just looking to eat you. But uh, that that one time where that does happen, you better have a a firearm on you and be prepared. What's your uh, sidearm of choice? Uh, so I like uh, uh, 10 mil. Uh, I have some buddies over at Scout that made me. Uh, it's a 10 custom Glock. It's a G20. Uh, I have a loophole Delta point on it. And then I have a, I forget what flashlight I have it. But it's it's got a custom trigger on it. Aggressive uh, slide. Um, so you can grip it if, the, if it's kind of kind of wet which alaska is notorious for but uh one thing that i want to throw out there that a lot of people like because it's flashing it looks super cool is they'll get like slide cuts cutouts on their guns uh don't do that for your hunting gun. actually you do what you want but i wouldn't recommend doing that on your hunting gun because what that does is it gives a, a window for silt sand uh dust debris to get in between the the slide and the barrel and if that's your backup gun, that means you're drawing it because shit has really hit the fan. And if stuff has got in there enough, that's going to cause malfunctions. So that's just a, a tidbit of information for people listening. Yeah. And 10 millimeter, I mean, that's always going to be a semi-automatic either. You know, my brother's got a 10 millimeter Delta Elite. It's an old, um, an old Colt, you know, so a Colt 1911. Mm-hmm. And. You know, if you get enough dirt and nastiness in that gun, it's not going to cycle right. And yeah, the and different. It's things are tight in there, and if you don't have, you don't keep that firearm clean, it's not going to cycle. Yeah, and that's uh, like I love the 1911 platform. I really do. And uh, I would probably, if this is your bear gun and you plan on going in the backcountry with it, I would probably try to steer you away from a 1911 because the 1911 is a fantastic machine, um, but it's it's a purpose-driven gun. It's If you have a 1911 that has super low tolerance, then it's not going to be very accurate um, because now you have room in between the slide and the receiver, which makes guns typically more reliable because there's more room for it to cycle. As you tighten that up, your gun becomes more accurate slash less reliable if you can't keep it clean so if yep. you so that's just something to weigh well glock um it's it's kind of a it's a brick but it's a, a brick that goes bang every time when you have 15 rounds in it so that's probably what i'll point people to and if you have a little bit of a budget i'd point them to that scout uh revenant that uh that they make g20 it's a it's a nice little firearm and they they made the the G20 as much as a race car as you can by still keeping the reliability up. That's cool. What else am I bringing with me out there? Like, do you even bother? Like, you're not going to bring bear spray, right? Like, no, no. I, a fucking clock, like, 
Oh, you bring a 10 millimeter. That's your bear spray. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I would, I would, I mean, people do what they want to do at the end of the day. Uh, but I don't really recommend bear spray. Uh, I mean, it probably works on some bears, but, uh, I don't know I've seen those big brown bears and I can see what they've run through and gone over and how relentless they are. And if that one's coming at me, uh, I don't know how much uh, the bear spray is going to do other than put pepper on my corpse. So <laughs> make it nice and tasty later. Right? Uh, ho- hopefully he doesn't like spicy food. <laughs> what uh, what weight bullet are you shooting out of that 10 mil? Uh, 220 hard cast. Okay. Something so it's, that a, it's a heavy bullet. Uh, yeah. play play with your round and make sure it cycles good through your gun. I know some it's weird because it's it depends on what like uh, I recommend a aftermarket barrel um than the one that comes in standard of the G20. Uh but play with what round that barrel likes. Uh don't just buy a box. Don't buy 220s because Caleb Stillians use them. Buy 220s because they go through your gun or 200s. Just really test your equipment before you go out and rock right. with it. Yeah, I mean, some some guns like the 180 or 200 grain bullets versus in a hollow point. Those aren't really probably the best round to use for shooting a grizzly, but because of the lack of penetration you're going to get being it's a hollow point, a hard cast bullet's going to keep going. Yep, exactly. No, you got it right. Uh, the hollow points are great for like self defense in town because you don't want you don't want that bullet passing through because you're responsible for every round that comes out of your gun. Um, in the mountains, when you have a, a thousand pound animal at you, you want as much penetration into that body mass as possible. That's a really good point. Big you consider it that way, no doubt. Not like your arrows. Talk about testing your gear, and you talked about like. Did you did you actually get into a shower or put your your garments in a shower and like wear them to see what their drying capability was? Like that's I've never heard anyone do that. Yeah, I do. Um, Boot camp I, I do. Like that's and they were getting punished for something. Um, I haven't heard of any any civilians doing that kind of stuff. That they've come across, like you're the first person that have said that. I don't know that we're in, a, in extreme enough conditions in the whitetail Midwest you know, world that we're going to be doing that kind of stuff. You can just drive home. Uh, but what you're talking about is, is far more extreme, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you just got to know what, what your goal is. Um, and that's one thing Like, if you hunt white town Midwest, you don't need to go out and spend $5,000 on your apparel setup. Um, you just don't, uh, the stuff at Bass Pro is going to do the job just fine. So it's uh, it's all about what you, you are doing with it. Um, but if you try to do backcountry and guides are slightly different just because of this, uh, the extended period of time we have to go out and do it. Uh, but still, even if you're only out there 10 days, if you're trying to do it in the, the redhead, um, brand and hopefully, uh, Johnny Morris doesn't get pissed for me saying this, but uh, if you're trying to do it in the redhead brand, uh, on the backcountry of Alaska, uh, that's not a good idea. So like, I don't know, one of the things I remember the most extreme thing I'd done is gone to the boundary waters and camped. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of water to the boundary waters. You're canoeing and portaging constantly to get around up there. And I remember picking out my sleeping bag and getting a, you know, at the time it was a really expensive one. Mm-hmm. And I remember hemming and hawing over getting like, like real uh, down feathers versus synthetic. And the real down was like, Oh, this is a really superior product. But if it gets wet, 
your SOL versus the synthetic, it'll dry out. Like things like that, it seems as though you're going to have to consider a lot of those things when you're outfitting yourself to go in the backcountry of Alaska. You just- do. I, I recommend uh, synthetic, uh, but some of the companies are coming out with a synthetic down blend. Um, I haven't had any first-hand experience with it because my sleeping bag hasn't got worn out yet. Uh, but that's something to also look at is that synthetic down blend because they're trying to merge the, the qualities of the two to, uh, to make a better product. So that's something to take a peek at. What about footwear? I mean, you're covering a lot of ground. What are you doing with your socks and your boots? Like, what is that set up based yeah, so on I, for several months? So I tried to... I try to bring a pair of socks for four day, which is a lot. Uh, and really, really you don't need that many, but just in case they get wet and they won't be dry, I can at least put that on in the morning. That's the only uh, a pair of product that I bring so much because you got to really watch your weight. Uh, yeah, so you just you try to keep your feet dry. Uh, you want a good mountaineering boot. Um, Latham Sons makes really good boots. Uh, Loa makes good boots. Uh, Zamblin makes good boots, and it dep- again, it depends on your foot type. So go, go try try those boots on and really play with it before you just go for it. Uh, so yeah, you just want to make sure that your feet are taken care of because your feet are your wheels. It's kind of like you're not gonna drive down the highway um, 70 miles an hour with a, a tire that's got wires showing. You want to make sure you got your uh, your wheels taken care of on your feet. So that's something to think about yeah no doubt and you're you're flying into some of these places too i just it's got to be just so picturesque i mean the, the footage you had shared like let's talk about rise up a little bit because i don't know if that video is just out on the internet on youtube can we go watch it like some of the stuff that you're capturing is really honestly like impressive man it's really i don't know if it's just because it's alaska and everything looks better there or what but it's pretty cool <laughs> Well, boy, I appreciate that. But yeah, you can, uh, people can check it out. Um, it's Rise Up with Caleb with a C. Uh, you punch that in uh, on Google, it's going to pop up. Uh, so, kind of, I don't know what what you want to know about it, but kind of how it came about is that uh, I used to be homeschooled back in the day. And then uh, the last two years of uh, my, I guess you'd call it, uh, before college going, was uh was at a public school and it was it was weird when I went in there because uh I'm used to like you know if you're gonna do something do it to your best and try to be the best at it and then I went to school and I remember taking the ACT test and being with the classroom um the class that I was with and people were like oh I gotta get a 19 to get into this college oh I gotta get a 21 to get into this college their focus point was at the bare minimum um to get in instead of like oh the test is a perfect score is a 36 so let's shoot for a 36 and wherever the cards lay the cards lay um so that's kind of where rise up came from is like rise up we only given one shot at this life and uh everything we do we should try to be the the damn best at because that's how we uh impact everyone around us for the best i think well it's obviously worked out i mean being even just a thought of becoming a guide and the fact that you sacrificed enough to just go and and you said you worked for free for a year as a as a yeah step up. So how did you sacrifice that? Did you live with your uh, like a parent or something like that? What what did that look like for you? That must have been challenging. 
And then the learning process of just becoming a guide, like it's serious business. You're in the backcountry. People could die. You know, like it's not, it's not, you have to know first aid and like uh, how to do land nav and, and weapon management. And like you talk about cutting up your moose and you're really good at it. I, I wouldn't even have the first clue. It would be bad. It'd be like into the wild. I probably wouldn't come back out, you know? <laughs> I bet you do. Well, the knife but... is trying to take back straps, so it's not good. No, no, it's not great. I've cut my, it's bad. Like, I don't know whose blood it is. Is it mine? Is it the animals? I don't even know what's going on. You know, that's not, that's not good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Watch your fingers. Uh, here's a tip on how like skinning an animal. Uh, so you always know where your index finger is, right? I mean, it's attached to your body. So you kind of know what's going on. So like, be careful. Cause I'm going to say this carefully because depending on what kind of knife you are, you should really just be careful. But use your index finger on the back side of that blade because if you pushing and plying, your knife's not sharp enough. Um, even on a thick skin animal like a moose, if I if my knife is sharpened how it should be, that that blade I don't use a big blade. I use it like three to four inch blade max. My index finger runs on the back side of that blade, and then I kind of always know where that's at. And if my index finger is anywhere close to my outer hand, then I need to pay attention to where it's at and actually know what's beyond that. Because it's always a straight line off the finger, off your point of your index finger. And that's, it's a, it's a trick to keep, uh, at least it's kept me safe. I haven't cut my hand skinning an animal in a long time. So that's something to look at. So like, I, I feel like I asked probably a couple questions in there though. I'm trying to think. What the heck, what the heck you, you were asking what that looked like when I went and I walked for free. It was was one of them. Um, like, like, what was going on in your life that you were able to make that that commitment, that jump? There's some risk involved in changing your life like that. You, like a lot of people don't just to go go decide to be a guide. That's a big jump out of what I think most people consider as the norm. And it's like, how do you become certified? And and how did that? You know, how did you make that leap? Yeah, so uh, I've never been someone that's too too scared of risk. I, I was just kind of like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to go for it. Uh, so what that looked like is I just got out of high school. I was fortunate and got a full ride to college. And uh, doing just out of high school in between college, the semesters, um, that's when I, I met that, uh, that archery coach. Um, and then that's how that connected the dots. Um, I didn't know back then that I was – um, I needed it like supposed to get paid, but I was like, Hey, if, uh, this is going to be, allow me to hunt in Alaska. Cause I, I really wanted to hunt in Alaska. Like I can't even tell you how bad I wanted to go back up and hunt Alaska, but it's really, it's honestly really expensive. And it was way out of my price budget, obviously. Um, so I was like, okay, I got to come up and walk for three months for free and just get tips from the clients. So like, oh shit, I get to go up and I get to know what it's like to go hunt a thousand pound brown bear and i know what now i know what it's like to go hunt a 800 pound grizzly bear like all those experiences that uh that i wanted to have okay if i got to work for free to do that awesome um i'll do that because that's something i want to accomplish and that's kind of that's kind of how that went about and then i happened to be naturally really good at it i was i don't know shooting has always come really natural to me uh like usually i i mean i miss but i don't miss often uh, so that, that kind of fit right in. Um, at that point in time, I was going out every chance I could at me and my buddies would all sleep. They would, we would take my, uh, 97 full Bengal Cavalier and we would all pile into it and we'd go do mountaineering out in Colorado, um, from age 16 to 18. So I kind of 
knew what I was doing, at least somewhat in the mountains. And uh, on your question on the process on becoming a guide, so you got to go through what a packing period is. And it's a minimum of 60 days in the field under a registered guide. And once you have that requirement, and it's the, it's on the registered guide's prerogative on when he signs off on you. Because uh, most people, it's anywhere from two to, uh, and I'm not saying this in a braggadocious way, but most people, it's anywhere from two to four years before they can get their uh, guide's license. I got fortunate and I did it in uh in one year just because of my prior experience and I guess it's natural God gifted talent on shooting. Uh, I was able to go through and pick it up very quick. From that point, it's another uh what is it? Three years. It's another three years to become a a registered guide and outfitter. Um, and that's that's if you want to go from uh Joe Bull off the street to uh an outfitter if that's something you want to do. That's cool. I didn't realize that that it. Like they are you at some point like are they handing the keys over to you to say, Okay, let's see if you got, you know, all that down. You got the chops. Did you learn anything while you're here? Do you have to like how do you kind of prove yourself to that person? Where when do they how do they establish that you kind of have what you, what it takes? Um, so when they sign off on you, uh they they put their name on your license, more or less. That's a big and that's deal. how the, the fishing game um approves it. So if something goes bad, um, why you are leading the hunt, it reflects on them. Uh, so they they most outfitters that are like legitimate professionals uh, are cautious on who they do that to and who they give that license to. So uh, yeah, so more or less they they have skin in the game. So they watch you like a hawk. That's why it's a minimum of sixty days. You have to actually be out hunting for sixty days under that person's belt where they can kind of see what's going on. And then from that point, that's how they sign off on that. And then when you go to get a registered license, uh, there's a written test and a practical that the state does. That's cool. Wow, man. That's a, uh, that's pretty intense. Um, yeah, they take it seriously up here. Like the, the fish and game, uh, the troopers, they don't play around. Uh, most of them are fantastic people and they, they take their job seriously. And, uh, it's up to us guys to, to do the same thing. Do you have, um, so one of our, one of our sponsors, which I totally dropped the ball in the beginning of calling everybody out there, uh, is Spartan Forge. They, you know, they're our studio sponsor. They have an application that it's a mapping application by and large, but also it's, um, the foundation of it is like, uh, deer movement predictability. They got some AI, um, you know, neural networks and, and models that they built out to determine when deer are going to be on hoof and all that stuff. But then on the backside, they built into their mapping application and, I think where they're a bit different is um, sort of the, the predictive modeling that they have. They, their map, the satellite imagery that they use because of the Bill as the founder, because of his prior military experience, their maps are so much better than what you're going to find elsewhere. They're just so much more clear, whatever. I, I don't know that something like that, Spartan Forge or other applications on your smartphone are going to work deep in the back country, are you using like satellite, you know, GPS units or what, what are you using out there to stay safe? Do you have like a sat phone or things of that nature too, if you need to call in for help or whatever? Um, can you speak to some of the tech you have with you too? Yeah. So, uh, I have a sat phone and then you have, a it's like a, a button box that you push for the Coast Guard. But on addition to that, I used to rock the, the Garmin inReach. 
Um, and then the, it's powered by Iridium, which is the same pulsing satellites that power the, the sat phone. But uh, I also just switched to Zolio, which pretty much does the same thing. And that just allows you to have access to the maps, um, allows you to have access to, to communicate with the people back home, which is really, is really huge. Um, so that's just kind of like the tech setup. And then, of course, you carry your phone um, to have with you, listen to audiobooks, have some pre-downloaded music. And then uh, those both of those devices sync up to the phone. So then you can use your phone to text instead of trying to type on this little bit of keyboard that you have to hit five buttons to get one letter. So. Back in the day when it was like T9 word, you'd hit like a couple buttons and then predict the whole word. That uh, was like really fancy, I remember. Brutal. And the old Nokia's, those things were, were nuts. Yep. Yeah. Have you ever had any of that stuff in any dire situation? Um, No, not too bad. Um, luckily, I there's only been one ever like somewhat close call, and I was able to get it out there before I had to hit the button. And it was just because the, the gentleman was older. Uh, and didn't share with the outfitter that he was a, a diabetic that formerly had had strokes. Um, mm. Super nice guy. Uh, just, you know, when you – so I, I also uh, – I run a lot of boats um, back in the day, especially not so much now. But uh, the boat went out, and I was like 40 miles roughly um, at River Miles from where we needed to get back out at. So I'm floating this bad boy out and I'm dragging the boat, pushing it. And then uh, his name was Larry. Uh, looked back and like, hey, Caleb, I hate to add anything to your plate, but I'm feeling kind of kind of woozy and not feeling too good. So I was like, oh, oh what's up? Um, he was like, well, you know, I got, I got type 2 diabetes. I'm like, oh, that's not good. Uh, you got your medicine? Well, I left that back at the lodge. I was like, well, I don't know. Like, obviously, uh, back then, especially, I wasn't that educated and uh how to take care of diabetic but i was like well what's those snacks that we packed here because i know that has to do with blood sugar well i accidentally left them left them in the truck so now i got and i didn't have any snacks because I, I try to stay stay as fit as i can um and i don't like snacking so i was like well crap so that was that was a challenge to uh i, I would hit the gravel balls pull the boat along because this uh, this was a south fork of uh i'm gonna not name the river because my my friends do outfits out there so i don't want a ton of people um blowing his area up but uh he then you're assuming people listen to our show which is nice of you <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you, you just never know type of a deal you know, uh, yep. it did, yeah you. but uh so yeah it, it was rough we got him out he was good he didn't die uh it was a solid 28 uh 28 or 26 hours that i went non-stop but uh he didn't die so that's the main thing that's was, scary man that's a big deal one of our our friends who's coming in the studio next week brian with uh beast mode archery i think he's got a shirt that says but did you die uh, i like it because <laughs> yeah. like they do some pretty hardcore like physical fitness stuff yep up of yep. like you know ski hills and stuff like that it's pretty intense i think you know uh if you're not fit you're gonna be hacking up along but to your point, are, are some of these guys that are coming out there with you, are they, you know, what's their physical fitness like? Do they, are they, you know, coming out there with the dad bods in full force? Are they, you know, hey, this is serious stuff. I got to really kind of have some at least cardiovascular physique to myself. Well, it, it's totally across the board. Um, so like that gentleman, he was 76. Uh, you went into uh, on some of the hunts, depending on what hunt you're doing. 
is that uh, it's been a dream with these guys for a long time. And when they were young, they couldn't afford it. And now that can't afford it, their bodies um, can't go like they used to go. So it's uh, the guide's job to try to balance that. Uh, so, yeah, so th- that's on the, the extreme end. And then on the other extreme end, you have uh, a 30-year-old come up that's uh, that's kick-ass solid. And you and him can run up any mountain that you want to. So you can push a hard pace if you need to. That's nice. Are you 30? Is that what you're telling us here? Me? No, I'm 24. Oh, yeah. You've done a lot of young buck yet. Yeah, I would say. I'm, you got, what do we, I'm 36. So when I was 24, I would say I was probably in pretty damn good shape for sure. That was fun. I miss being in not dad bod shape. <laughs> hey, well, that, that kid aspect, um, or kids, that plays a whole different role on things. So I, I'm not going to speak to that. I'm going to put that off until until I'm 30-ish. Uh, so, yeah. hey, no judgment here. Like, you know, that's that's some responsibility there. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I waited till I was out of my 20. I got I met my wife at 27, 28 or something like that and uh, married at 30 kids. Boom, 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 boom. So, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. What's uh? If you're going to go moose hunt, what's your favorite way to hunt them up there? Do you prefer your bow or do you like your rifle? Um, Either or. I love bow hunting. Um, I haven't got to do a lot of it because of how much I've been guiding. Uh, most people bring a rifle. Not all, but most people. Um, because w- when you hunt up here, just because of the cost associated with it, even if you do it self-guided, it's going to cost you a pretty penny to get your butt up here and then if you want to get into like the really good spots, uh, that's aviation costs, which I mean, pilots are five hundred dollars an hour right now, and probably going up with the price of gas. So that's you know, it's, it adds up. So uh, what I tell people is, if you get a bow hunt, awesome. A always have a firearm with you, uh, whether you bow hunting or not, for safety reasons. But if you bow hunt, you need to be you need to be willing to know that you just cut your odds way down and you're okay with not killing something um, with that. You know what I mean? Cause you, you, you have a chance of killing something like always, but you're, you can't reach out and touch them at 600 yards. Now you have to be 40. So just right. have yourself prepared on that. If you can't afford, this is your once in a lifetime opportunity. Unless if it's just like, okay, I have to kill a brown bear like Fred bear did. Um, Maybe bring a gun, or if the if you talk to the outfitter and he's okay with you bringing both, bring both of them and bow hunt. But if the opportunity pops up to shoot him with the rifle and a a bow's not gonna work out for whatever reason, um, just don't don't waste your don't waste that shot more or less. Um, that would be my answer to that one. Sure. What's the smallest caliber you've had a a client come up with for moose? Um. I mean, if the outfitter does their job slash the guide communicates with them, uh, 300 wind mags, the, the minimum, uh, there's been a guy show up with a 30 six and the 30 six does the job, but, uh, I would recommend at minimum a 300 wind mag. You just got that little extra punch, um, a for moose B if a brown bear is charging you, it just, I mean, there's not a ton, ton of a difference between the 300 and the six, but there's enough where I'd recommend the, the 300. It's um, good stuff, man. I'm all set then. Yeah, I'm not. I got a 30 odd six in the gun case in here. <laughs> we got to get you a 300 one mag. 
Yeah, apparently I got to get a shotgun too. I like, try my hand at turkey hunting this I season. I like my 300 wind mag. A lot of people looked at me crazy, like, oh, that's a little too much for whitetail, but I don't know, 180 grain bullet, you can eat right up to the hole, where if it's a 165 grain bullet, it goes off like a hand grenade and destroys everything. So, I don't know. Does does fine for me for whitetail, but that was the whole purpose of buying it is to be able to hunt just about everything. Yeah, and that, that caliber, it's a, it's a great caliber because guy can load it up to 200, and you're still almost shooting 3,000 feet per second. So you have yep. enough to do that. Oh, you can, like, you're shooting 180s for yours, but depending on what bullet you're looking at, you I think they make loads down to 110, which is crazy. I've never shot any of those. So if you yeah. want to go prairie dog hunting, you can get that light-up bullet. Or just buy a 22-250, um, whatever you want to do. Yeah. I shot a whitetail with 150 green uh, fail-safe, and that was ugly, to say the least. It looked it, like a. It, it didn't uh, even. Move. Yeah, it, it blew a hole the size of a basketball on the incoming oh side. Oh my god! It was just ugly. Uh, blood shot everywhere down halfway yeah. down the ribs. Yeah, it was. It was a waste. It would. I'll never shoot a deer with a bullet that light ever again out of that gun. Nah. So you know, move. like I, I was gonna say, so like you know, meat eater. You know, if you watch his show, uh, they'll go on these. You know. Really exciting hunts, moose, whatever, all that stuff, right? And everything. Um, and and they're they're really centralized around food and cooking wild game in the field. And I think they make it look very appetizing, like very exciting stuff. Are you doing anything like that with that meat and those kills right out of the gate? Like if you're still in camp and you're not packing all the way back out, are you doing anything meat eater esque with the the game that like you just got? Are you cutting out loins? Oh or- yeah. And stuff like that. What are you bringing for cookware? I'll give Steve Ronello run for his money on the mountain on cooking. <laughs> we need to have like a chop. Um, I don't know the guy yet, but we should, it'd be fun to have a chop on the side of the mountain. Let's see who wins. Uh, but uh, MSLP makes a, a bono setup that I that I usually take. It has a pot and a pan with it. Um, so that's usually what I run on the cookware side of things. And then you just make do with a. Uh, your knife as the storing thing, your knife as the kind of potential, and then you have titanium spoons. Uh, so yeah, that's, and then you, I usually try to take a butter, um, if it's a moose. Um, I'm not a huge fan of moose fat. Uh, if, if you killed a smaller moose, I'm not sure, uh, cause I haven't killed a smaller moose. I can't tell you, um, killing really big bulls. And those, the, the redded up big bulls fat, A, they don't have a lot of fat on them cause they red it up, but they have some, and that fat typically does not taste too good. So uh, on a moose hunt like that, I'll take a stick of butter to help help cook it up. Uh, same with goat. Goat fat is not that great. So stick of butter on that one. Doll sheep. Uh, doll sheep's amazing across the board. Everything's good on that animal. Same with sick of blacktail and Kodiak. Um, so the butter's not needed because you can render the fat down in the uh, field and cook with it. Uh, so that. That's yeah. That's I, I like cooking. Um, we we haven't put a ton of that in the in the show that I do, um, mainly because uh, it's just not something I want to highlight. I'm I'm kind of highlighting uh motivation and mindset on my show. That's kind of the niche I'm I'm focusing on. I'm not saying that what what at one of these points I might throw on. Hey, this is how you cook something here. So sure. You uh you hunt many black bear up by you. Uh, yeah, a decent amount. I, I haven't guided a ton of black bear, um, too lately. 
uh, I've probably guided, I don't know, 40 or 50 black bear, but that, that was my force in the very beginning of my guiding career. But as for hunting black bear, yeah, uh, right here behind my house is some of the best, best black bear hunting um, because the density of the of the black bear population, for whatever reason, the brown bear will not move in. Um, there's, there's a spot like this in Prince William Sound, um, same way it doesn't have brown bear. Uh, so the black bear don't have to compete for the resources. So there's real big bodied animals. And uh, yeah, I like black bear. Make sure it's well done. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, you're going to make yeah. me hungry here pretty soon. I uh, I assume you must have a fair amount of black tailed deer there then too, if you've got black bear. No, not here. No, not hmm. at all. Um, so sick of black tail were, were introduced. They're not native. Uh, and I think they did that on, I don't know about on some of the other places in Prince William Sound, but on Kodiak, they did it in like 1914. Um, and if I'm wrong, please don't hate me. It's somewhere in that ballpark. I might be off by a couple of years. Um, so that's why they're there. Um, cause they, they're not native to up here. So they never got dropped off here. I'm sure if, uh, they dropped off a good horde of them here, they would probably do, do well. Um, we do get a lot of snow in this area in the wintertime, uh, so that plays a big factor on uh, on blacktail because they don't do well in deep snow because of how short their legs are. Yeah, they wouldn't survive well. They would have a very difficult time evading predators and just trying to get the food. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is get getting the food. Uh, there's wolves here, so the wolves will probably do a, a number on them. Um, there's not wolves on Kodiak. So I don't know. It, it'd be kind of cool if the fishing get, I don't have the power to do that. If I went and tried to go catch some black tail and brought them over here, although I'd love to, uh, fishing game wouldn't be very happy with me. So I want to keep them happy, but if they would want to do that, that'd be pretty badass just to see if they would, uh, take off out here. Another question, man, but I'm, I'm like. Alaska is a dream hunt for a lot of us. I don't know dream what Dream hunt, is. dream fish. I mean, I'd love to go up there and salmon fish and catch halibut. Um, it does seem my expensive wife's got to get friends there. up there, so we might go see them and hopefully get in a little bit of fishing and pack home a bunch of uh, a bunch of fish. Heck send, yeah! Send it home on some dry ice and enjoy it when we get it. Those halibut uh, are ginormous, or they they, they can, can be. Get yeah, I mean, big. how are you packing? So that was one of the questions I asked in the beginning. Is like maybe we can navigate um before i hit the record button probably but i was thinking about how do you get some of this stuff home we're in wisconsin we go to alaska we shoot something whatever the hell it is like what what is that you got to just be paying a bunch of money right to to, to like pack the stuff back home and fly it in a cooler in uh like what do you, even Fun whether cooler, it's halibut or whether it's I'm, I'm assuming some of these companies like if i'm going out to do halibut fishing they've been through this stuff plenty of times people come out there to do that stuff or I'm getting salmon in the river. If I'm hunting something, it just feels like a challenge to to do that. You probably just need to budget for that on the front side, so you're not like, "Oh no, what do I do?" Yeah, no, you gotta you gotta budget and like check the boxes. Uh, there's two options. There could be more, but these are the two that I tell people. Um, a, you pay to have it shipped back overnight. It um, that is the really expensive option. Um, uh, actually, I, I take that back. There's three options. There's uh, ground shipping and a cool. Um, cooler box or whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's just a freezer truck. Um, most people don't do that one, so I don't know what that costs. And then the, the third option is, which is honestly, if you get, say you went fishing and caught a couple boxes of uh, halibut, so 100 pounds of halibut, um, I tell people just freaking freeze it 
drop like put it in the hotel freezer and then check it check luggage on your on your flight back freezer need to be that that's a lot of freaking meat that's why they make knives my friend you cut it up in smaller pieces they stack. I've seen hell a bit taller than the ceiling. What are know? the chances you're going to catch and keep one of them anymore? I mean, the, from what I understand, the chances the the chances of catching a barn door size halibut are not that great anymore. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you can still do that. Um, uh, barn size is a little big, but I got some friends that consistently will hook like 200 pound fish, not like every week, but often. Uh, but here's the deal. If you catch one of those fish, you need to turn that that loose. Um, yeah, it makes a super cool photo, but the, yeah. the fish that get that big, those are females. Um, and those are your, your layers. Those are what's going to make sure you have a bunch of fish. And when they have that, they're that big, they usually have worms, um, and the meat's not as good, period. So sure. really, the ideal halibut to catch is 40 pounds. Um, in my opinion, that's the biggest bang for your buck for having the best taste in meat. Um, and big fillets, uh, if you go in for meat, uh, Size my to dog. me, that, that's where it gets, it gets rough. Um, cause like it's, a, it's, it's, it would be trophy fishing. If you got a big, like say, let's just go with a 130 pound halibut. You get that in the boat, you shoot it with your 410, you get it in, you get your photo. Well, that meat typically is no good. Um, and then you could say, well, that's a, it's a trophy hunt. But if it's a female and that's laying your next generation, uh, it's not the same as like trophy hunting uh, a brown bear. And and when you're fishing it and you're pulling it up, I'm not a fish guide, so I'm not experiencing that. I don't know if you can tell how old it is off the fly. So, okay, hey, this is a, so say it's a, a bear. I can look at a bear and be like, oh, it's a dried up sow. Um, let's not shoot it because I like to shoot big males because, it's it's cooler to shoot a big mature male than a big mature female but it's uh you know what i mean it, you gotta balance it uh we, we as humans want to leave um the place better than we found it in my opinion and uh shooting the the fish that are gonna keep that population high um i i think is goofy and then why you shoot it is because those those fish flop around like a son of a gun and on smaller ones, you can gaff it. But if uh, if you're trying to gaff a 180 pound halibut, you better uh, you better you hang on. Or yeah, you're not. You're yeah, not, you better have PFD. You're going in some cold water, up. right? That's. I mean, yeah. even the salmon we try to get in your boat on Lake Michigan, those things aren't small. Um, so good for you for knowing how to like actually get on them. But I can't imagine something like a halibut coming up to the side of the boat. I just watched some stupid, you know, TikTok video. Of some guy trying to get a tarpon into his kayak. That was a failed <laughs> video, by the way. Yeah, it wasn't a win. One, you don't want to keep them because they're not edible. And two, I mean, it, it's just the tarpon grip, was bigger than the kayak. I'm like, dude, this isn't going to work. So you do I caught it, it and then yeah. you throw it back. And yeah. you know, if you don't know how to revive those fish or take care of those fish, they're both side, huge. They they end up dying, and those are your breeder fish anyway. Just like you know, you're you're. Uh, your barn door size halibut. So that's good to know. Like these are things, these are like assumptions. You see people take these grip and grin photos with these giant barn door size fish, and you're like, holy shit, are you getting that back? But you know, they're probably not. They're probably, you know, taking the picture, like bring them to the boat, and then that's it. You know, hopefully hopefully that's the case based on what you're telling me. I hope that's the case. It sounds like that might not be always the case if some people aren't comprehending the impact that they're leaving on Mother Nature. Your disposition um is really good 
Caleb, I, I respect how you approach everything and just your demeanor across all of this stuff. Like, Hey, I'm not a, a, a fishing guide. I don't have experience there. I can't speak to it as good as someone in that space could. Like you're really humble about your approach to things in general too, man. You're someone just commented, this guy's awesome. And I have to agree. Oh, I, I don't know about all that, but I, I truly appreciate you saying that and whoever commented that. Yeah. You're, he wasn't the only one either. Uh, who was it? Derek, well, Derek, our buddy, he's got, uh, his kids are sicker and his wife is sick. So he's not here in the studio tonight, but yeah, he'd be, he'd be hitting you up about moose sheds and everything. Derek is a, a moose shed hunting fanatic. He's, he's a shed hunting fanatic in general. So, and he's more than a fanatic. He's really good at it. He, he's a hound. He's got the sense for it. He knows where to find find sheds of all sorts of different animals. So he's uh, he's always paying attention, and he always has some pretty cool questions to ask. Heck, yeah. Well, I'll tell him how I cheat up here. Um, <laughs> when I'm flying out on the hunts, I'm, I'm always looking down, looking around, and I'll use that Garmin inReach, and then as I fly, obviously it's not putting you right on it, but as you, like, leaving like base camp and doing your your approach or, or take off circle doing like a loop or whatever you're doing you're just looking down at the ground you use that uh that waypoint and mark um mark the different areas you see sheds so then if you get a couple of days um where you're not hunting uh your plans tagged out or whatever happened then you can get at least close to those antlers because because it's flying you can kind of see what's going on down low Sure. I suppose they stick out like a sore thumb, you know, being in the sunlight, they bleach out and they turn pretty white and white against the green hillside. They get big like that. Pretty easy to pick off and, and, and find. You got some cool sheds in your cabin there that you're Airbnb out or what? Um, I don't have any in this one yet. Um, usually I, I give a lot of those away. Um, just cause I travel so much. I, I don't like to uh, collect a ton of stuff that I can't utilize. And if someone else will get a lot of enjoyment, but uh, I will here soon. I just bought this this past spring, um, so I haven't had time to collect a bunch of cool ones yet. Just because of my schedule. Have, but how, many, how many cabins do you have up there? Um, just this one for now. I'm gonna be getting some more um, in the future at some point. You know, it's all about working hard, getting one done, uh, get it where it's making money, and then find another one. So that's that's gonna happen. So cool, great business it is, plan. It is cool. We'll have to. Yeah, I mean, if you. Where, do, where can people find you? Um, I need you mentioned your Instagram, but like, let's, let's pinpoint people to get to follow you. I think the folks that have mentioned that you're awesome and love your approach. I think it'd be good for them to hear where they can find you on social so they can follow along. Cause you got some, yeah. you don't like the rest of us. You're living, you're living a really, I mean, outside in man, it's really exciting to see what you're doing. So. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, uh, uh, for the easiest way to find me, if you hop on uh, Google or Safari or wherever you hop on and type in my name, uh, Caleb, C-A-L-E-B, uh, Stillians is S-T-I-L-L-I-A-N-S. It's going to pop up my website. It's going to pop up all the all the rest of the stuff if you want to. That, that's going to link you to everything that I got going on versus just typing in the business. It's going to pull up the business stuff. Um, so. My name's just the easiest way to go about it. Cool. Chris Wheeler, who was a guest on not that long ago, uh, just said definitely following. So how about that? At least one yeah. person listens, and I think that's fantastic. That's uh, that's how it should be here. No, that's yeah, no, it, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
No, that's okay. I don't, you know, uh, I put in, hey, if you want to call in, share your thoughts and numbers on the screens, 262-757-4122. If you have any, you know, anything you want to share, or ask, like this is your opportunity to do it. You know, uh, I'm sure we'd have you back on in the future, but who knows when that'll be. So if you have anything you want to add to the show, jump in on the call line. You're welcome to do that. We'll bring you in in the last minute here. Um, oh, yeah. You're you're pretty active on Instagram. Obviously, you're down in the states in the summer. You're doing trade show circuits. What shows are you typically frequently frequently? I can't talk tonight, man. Frequently, frequently. I was gonna say frequenting. There we go. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it makes sense. Words are hard, dude. Words, <laughs> words are hard. <laughs> so like, yeah, okay. Anyway, we get you. Hey, you've had a rough week. Getting six never fun. So that's no no good. Um, on the shows, I hit SCI, uh, Dallas Safari Club. Um, ATA was the first one for me this year. I probably won't be back there. I really like the show. Um, met a lot of awesome people. Just that that one is overlapping Dallas usually. Um, so I'll be at Dallas next year. So Dallas SCI Shot Show, um, Western Hunting Expo Sheep Show, and then I'll be at some of the Total Archery Challenges out west. Oh, um, cool! This summer. That's, that'll be fun for you because you're like a 24-year-old young buck, physically fit dude. You probably do great, and you're uh, a kill shot. So I think tech, be... tech events look like a lot of fun. Maybe 20 oh, years Oh, you'd ago. like it. 20 years ago would have been a lot of fun for me. I don't know about now. No, I'd just be a sweaty mess. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's hot out here. Ugh. Yeah, one of those. No, but uh, I imagine the SCI stuff is good. You're, you're, you're coming down here by and large to, to book um, – yeah, that's that's a way of guides, right? Yeah, SCI has got to be a great outfit for you because, like, the auctioneering that they do to auction off hunts to do things like that. I don't know if that aligns with what you're doing, but um, one of my buddies, his dad was the president of the SCI Wisconsin chapter for you know, they change out cycles, right? Like, uh, so he was the president for a little while. Um, he's hunted all over the world. My buddy Shane has he's not much of a hunter, but he's hunted more places than I could dream to hunt because of SCI and his. Uh, dad's membership in that so uh, he's got some really fun stories too he's hunted like i don't even know i don't, he went to um gosh some of the bighorn sheep places out uh in like europe and he did africa mm. and he's been around the world hunting every exotic animal you could possibly think of um so sei has got to be a really cool thing for you for sure oh it's a lot of fun oh that's for sure and then uh I'm, it's funny you mentioned Africa. I'm gonna start going over the Africa, New Zealand, uh, New Zealand. New Zealand. I was now. trying to stay before, by the way. There's my another, yeah, geographical. You to stay, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just a cool and amazing place in its own. I remember the video he shared. There's just he was like on some like uh, I don't know if it's like a mountainside or cliffside, but it's just these these rocks that like every step you take, it just these cascading rocks sliding down the mountain. I was like. And they had shot a sheep, like a, like one of those white ones. I'm so stupid about this stuff, you guys. Uh, and it just tumbled and tumbled and tumbled. I was like, oh, my God, who's going to go get that thing, you know? <laughs> so that looked like a lot of work. Yeah, no, it, uh, mountain hunting, is that's one thing that some people don't think of is that sometimes you can kill an animal, but you shouldn't because of where it's going to go and it, it's not retrievable. Uh, so a lot of times I'm being like a good sheep goat guide, um, mountain goat guide is knowing where to shoot them and where not to shoot them just because you can shoot them doesn't mean you should because they were going to go into no man's land and you're never going to see that goat again so that's that's an important thing to, to pay attention to is uh hey uh let's hunt the spots that have less spots where they're just going to disappear 
Uh, but sometimes you got to go, though, to kill the really big billies. Uh, so just knowing uh, when to pull the trigger and when not to pull the trigger. Because those damn goats, I tell you what, they would jump off a cliff. If you don't put them down and you, like, lung shoot them, they would just go all kamikaze and just <laughs> go off a cliff. They're nuts, man. They're all, weird animals. Goats, they have square eyes. Sheep. All goats they're, are weird to me. I, I don't. They're crazy. They're man. they're like they're like Satan, aren't they? Like goats are Satan, or like that's like a thing people sacrifice. Yeah, the, the goat is the as uh, I don't know why I know this, but the goat is a Satan symbol or something like that. Yeah, I don't know exactly the details of it, but uh, yeah. My wife's like, I want to have a goat farm. I'm like, no, I'm not having a farm with devils unless there's Those the screaming shit kind. everywhere. They eat everything. Yeah, they they get out. They'll they get out and eat you. People, they headbutt you. Uh, yeah they're they're what why does someone want a goat uh they're not that you like goat cheese isn't that good right no mm-hmm. not, give me some feta man i don't need goat cheese um but the ones that you like not the, the screaming goat videos are funny haha but the fainting goats i would like that would be enough entertainment value value for me to consider getting one of those for a day let me ah! and then it drops dead looking like that's funny to me probably not good for its heart but you know whatever <laughs> I don't, I don't, what are those? Called? I think they're not called fainting goats. Yeah, they're called fainting goats. Here in the OK Center, we talk about goats. As long as you don't have Velcro gloves, we're OK. <laughs> what? And on that note, what am I going to do with that? Let's oh. talk about anything but goats now. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, OKS Hunter fashion, like we talk about OKS moments. We talk about things that you forgot this, you slipped on that, you, you know, goofed that up and, and you made fun of yourself or what have you, you know. We do that because in the industry, a lot of, you know, uh, TV shows and things, they really, you know, honestly, they can't show a lot of bad stuff. I get that to a certain degree. But as a result, the outcome ends up being that you only see all the good stuff. And that's just not reality. So what what have been some of your okayest moments opposite of the finer moments or, you know, what have you that when you've been in a field like you're like, oh, shit, you know, have you had anything like that that you're willing to share with us to embarrass yourself here yeah so here's one so this was back when i first started guiding so i was 19 at this time and uh well we we on uh, an island um it's the largest island uh in alaska that's uninhabited it's it's montague i was going to say the name of it if people want to go hunt they can i don't care uh so montague uh we camping at this forest cabin which was nice because we actually had a cabin sleep instead of a tent uh and hunting hunting you know we've seen some good bears and then we've seen we saw this one really big bear but it was right before dark so we couldn't make it to it so we went back in and then during that night it started raining like a son of a gun and like non-stop monsoon type of rain um so the river came way up so like we tried to hunt from that side uh, from the side we were stuck on and nothing. I mean, it, the, we could see the bear on the other side pop out in the same spot each side. Uh, and I was like, well, crap, you know, I don't I don't have a canoe. I don't have a raft. I don't really have anything here. Uh, where we were crossing the river is now, like, flowing like a son of a gun and above my head. You hop in that, you're not coming back type of deal. So I'm like, how do we get these guys a bear? So I'm like, okay. Obviously, I walked way up river. There was no crossing points way up river. I think I went like five miles back, um, and all it kept it kept going up the mountain. So that the the runoff just kept getting narrower and narrower. So that just means the river got more dangerous. So because that's faster moving. 
So uh, I, we had to wait until low tide, and I stripped down to my skivvies um, at low tide. Because what happens is the river is dumping into the ocean, and then at high tide, it pushes everything up, and everything gets deep. At low tide, it kind of just forces into the ocean. So the sand on the bottom will hopefully make it well, it's not above um, your head. So I go, I strip down, throw everything in my pack, and I got it above my head with my gun. And I'm trying to find where I can cross. And this water is cold. This is in May, um, and I'm in my skivvies in Alaska. So I hop in the water, and I go to start walking across. And I get to about my nipple deep, and that water touches my nipples. I'm like, oh, nope, because it was like, it's moving. It's, it's getting against the ocean, but it's still moving. So I go back. I go to try it again, um, and it's the same scenario. I do that four times before I finally find a spot that we can navigate through um to get across so the clients did it once i did it um four times and that was an okayest moment because my my uh cojones has still not come back from that point (laughs) (laughs) they crawl right up your rectum to keep warm (laughs) oh yeah they they were up they were on top of my head is that how far they went up they was like nope nope Man, what's on your head? My balls, dude. So that was an okayest moment. On the flip side, uh, later that day we killed a uh, a book brown bear, so that was that was fun. So it was cool. worth it. That's cool. Oh, yeah, I, we we got the bugle. I jumped into Crater Lake in Oregon, and Crater Lake is fun fact the deepest lake in the United States. That's natural. Uh, it's an imploded volcano in in Oregon, and uh, it's also got its own micronism. Mic- my dude, my words are not working tonight. The microbiology there is unique in the world in that place. You can only find certain things that live in that lake because there's no stream fed anything. It's all just natural rainwater over several, however many years. It's got its own species of amoeba. Correct. So it is very deep. Uh, it's the deepest lake in, in the country. Uh, but because of the altitude that it's at, because it's an imploded volcano, it stays just below freezing. <laughs> and I thought it's really cool to jump off a cliff into this crystal blue, clear, freezing cold water. I kid you not, man. By the time I got back to that rock I jumped off of, I couldn't I, I was numb. I was like, if this would have been any further, I don't know what would have happened. I couldn't feel my limbs. So I have to imagine that water that you're in, it's so cold. You're 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 going numb, right? Your body's like protecting itself for something. It's really a strange feeling to be in water. Oh, yeah. No, it was freezing. I don't know what the temperature would have been. Um, I'm guessing mid thirties ballpark wise. I don't know for sure. That's a lot of snow melt off, um, mixed with rain. So, uh, somewhere on the thirties to, it definitely wasn't in the forties, but maybe high, high thirties. But yeah, that's challenge that people are doing to shame. Then that's uh, gotta be just as cold, if not colder than the ice bath stuff. That everyone's like hopping on now these days. Yeah. But the, the ice baths are awesome. I wish I, <laughs> I'm going to have one because it's like really good for your body after like a really hard workout for recovery. From what I understand is it drives, it, it forces the blood. Um, I don't know exactly how the dynamics, but I think it increases circulation. I'm not going to try to go too in depth. Like I can't list, but I, I, I've not done the bath. I've tried the cold shower and that's, I don't know if it's because it's a shower, but I'm like, nope, nope, I'm out. You're like, it's too <laughs> Tolerate, but you're supposed to embrace the suck. It's got all these benefits. Anyway. Yeah. Or, uh, so what what I like to do, so this is everyone can take this for a grain of salt. Instead of embracing the suck, trick yourself into like where you enjoy it. So the stuff that suck, um, 
reframe it it's in your fun. mind to like, hey, this is enjoyable. <laughs> There's fun to be had. Any anything you do, you just got to put your mind to it. Well, tell you what, I did. Uh, so I'm, I follow. Uh, this is way off topic for all of our deer hunting audience, Neil Case Hunter, but uh, Ryan Holiday is a Stoic philosopher, a modern day Stoic philosopher. He did a daily Stoic challenge at New Year's, and one of the first ones was the cold shower. And it, you know, you do it for a minimum of two minutes. I had my wife time me because I don't want to, I don't want to chicken out. And uh, I did it. It was really tricky to to commit to that. You know, your brain wants to give up, and you're you're saying no, I'm not going to give up. I I can do this. Mind over matter. Oh man, that's getting harder in my old age. I like comfort these days, so. Yeah, I only did one of those. But anyway, uh, that that's what happens when you're in nature, though, too. Mind over matter is important. Like, you don't have a choice but to keep going. Like, like you said, that guy that you had to keep tracked along for 28 hours straight because he didn't have his di- diabetic medication or any snacks. Like, oh, well, it's cold too bad. When you have to do something, it's very different than when you like, I'm going to try this thing. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's important that, the, like, on what you did, I think it's important to try those things. Because I feel like we rise to our, we don't rise to the occasion. We fall to our lowest level of preparation in most things. Yep. So it's uh, it's important to uh, to mentally drill yourself and like walk through things and challenge yourself each day, even if you're not on the mountain. So if one day you're on the mountain, it's not just like, oh, now I'm gonna rise to the occasion. It's like, oh. I know what's up. I, I can handle yeah. this. You either rise to your, you don't rise to your goals. You fail to your systems or you fall to your systems or in the military. It's you, you don't rise to your, your, um, whatever the objectives is you, you fail to your training, you know? So, uh, very similar rhetoric across all that. I think the stoic philosophy stuff is very fascinating to me personally. Um, I had another thought there, of course, I'm forgetting it, but man, I, the flu is bad, or maybe I had COVID. I don't know. It my brain is just not firing on all cylinders, <laughs> which isn't <laughs> surprising. But those are really fun uh, topics to talk about, man. I think, you know, you most people are are far more capable than than they think. I think David Goggins talks about this in his book, Can't Hurt Me. He talks a lot about doing far more than you are ever capable of. Most people stop at forty percent. You could probably go up to ninety before your body will actually give up. Um, it's cool stuff to think about, but. Mm-hmm. Dude, thanks for being on our show all the way from Alaska. You sat outside the whole time. When is the 24 hours of daylight? When does that happen up there? Uh, it's coming up now. Uh, so depending on where you're at in the state is uh, how extreme that is. Where I'm at, it never like gets like sunshine, sunshine, 24 hours. Farther up north you go, the the lighter it gets for longer. Um, so like right now, it's getting dark at like 9, 9.15. Um so it's it's coming up. I think June. I think it's in June is the longest day, and then after June and it hits July, it starts going back the other way slowly. Um, but I don't. I honestly don't keep super track of that, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a neat paradigm that they have up there. Well, we're gonna end the live broadcast. Thanks everybody that tuned in to the live show. Uh, as you all know, this will be in podcast land this evening. So back to your Wednesday morning routine. We're back after two week hiatus. Uh, thanks for bearing with us, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. See you. Heck yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. And hopefully everyone that listened enjoyed it. And it was a true like pleasure having them listen. So heck yeah. Thank you.